Tonight we're going to look at an interesting and maybe overlooked piece of our gospel, and that is the burial of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that Christ's burial is an integral and important part of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. Verse 3 says, For I deliver to you of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul includes in his telling of the gospel the burial of Jesus. Well, tonight we're going to pause shortly to examine in our verses the events of the burial of Jesus. Tonight our message is entitled, The Temporary Tomb. The Temporary Tomb. Tonight we're in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, the temporary tomb. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word, John chapter 19, beginning in the 38th verse. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus, who had come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100 pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we come tonight. Again, we just come on this Saturday night. And we pray, Lord, that you are known tonight, that you're glorified tonight, that your name is lifted up tonight. Lord, I pray that you would move tonight, that you would speak tonight, that you would bless us in the study of your word and that we will be a blessing to you in the application of it. Lord, we come and I pray for the church tonight that we will be equipped, that we will be built up, made ready to, to proclaim the good news until you come again. And then I pray for those who do not know you. I pray in the hearing of, of this good news, of a risen, resurrected Savior the hope of sinners. I pray that tonight, this very night, they would turn to you, they would trust you, and in faith, they would be saved. Lord, we come, and again, we just give this to you, we, we lay it out before you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in our preceding verses, Jesus has died. Now, not only is Jesus dead, but he is also confirmed dead. Remember the experts of the execution, they have said in verse 33, upon their inspection that Jesus, he was already dead. And so he's not only died, he has been confirmed as dead. Now tonight, be sure and see the significance of that. Jesus is dead, paying the punishment for sin, death. 
Jesus is dead, having died our punishment for sin, our death. And so understand, it was an actual, physical, literal death. Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Lamb of God is dead. He has died. Now at this point, the Romans were finished. In their system, they would leave the deceased on the cross to decay, to be eaten by animals, and as a visible deterrent to others. Someone coming by would see this, this scene and it would be a visible deterrent to them. The Jews, on the other hand, would allow the body to be taken, usually by the family, and buried in a criminal's cemetery or a criminal's grave outside of the city. And so understand, the Romans have finished. The Romans are done. Let's go to our account. Now, as we do tonight, we're going to see four truths about our gospel, this gospel that includes Jesus's burial. So tonight, we're going to see four truths about our gospel. Tonight, I'm going to read verses 38, 39, and 40 together, and then we'll go back and look at them piece by piece. So again, starting in verse 38, verses 38, 39, and 40. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds weight. Verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, as we examine these verses, as we examine the burial of Jesus, the first thing we notice tonight is that the gospel bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. Now, notice it starts off, the verse says, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, we know from the collective gospel accounts that he was a rich man, that he was a wealthy man. We know from the gospel accounts he was a well-thought-of man. He was a respected man. We also know he was a righteous and good man. He was a good man. And then we also know he was on the ruling council of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And so understand, he is one of the leaders of the Jews. In verse 39, the Bible tells us of Nicodemus. He was the one that sought out Jesus in John chapter 3. We learn of Nicodemus. He was a great teacher of the Jews, one of the most prominent teachers of the Jews. We also know he was also well-respected. We also know he was on the ruling council as well, the Sanhedrin. And so I want you to see this tonight. These men who come to secure the body of Jesus, these men who the Bible says are now disciples of Jesus, they came from, they came out of the group that hated Jesus the most. They came from the group who had twisted the laws, who had set aside justice, and who had sided with Satan in order to kill Jesus. These men who've come to claim the body of Jesus, 
They have everything to lose. Their status, their position, their friends, their comfort, even their reputation. And yet they are found here as disciples of Jesus. Now, what did that? The promise of wealth? No. The promise of easy days ahead? No. The acclaim of men? No, certainly not. What did that was the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, I want you to hear me tonight and be sure of this. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to be sure the gospel can reach the hardest heart. The gospel can reach the most prideful soul, and the gospel of Jesus Christ bears fruit. I want you to be sure tonight no person is beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No sin is too great. No situation is too far gone. No person is beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God desires that all should be saved and the gospel bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. Second thing we see in our verses tonight, the gospel bears courage. The gospel bears courage. Look at verse 38. After these things, Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. In verse 39, it says of Nicodemus, he was one who came to Jesus at night. Now, the word for secret in verse 38 means concealed or hidden. And so it says here, Joseph is a disciple. He was a disciple. He believed in Christ. He put himself under the teachings of Christ. That's what a disciple is. He followed Christ. And yet the verse says, yet, but for the fear of the Jews, he managed to keep it secret. But for fear of the Jews, he concealed the truth that he was a disciple. Evidently, Nicodemus, the great teacher of the Jews, did the same. Well, I want you to think about this. What makes these secret disciples, concealed disciples, stand as bold, and I mean radically bold, disciples? I mean, listen, watch this. Talk about identifying with Jesus. This is no small thing. These are the ones that will take the body of Jesus. These are the ones that are taking the, the role of his family. This is a visible thing. This is a bold thing. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that Joseph gathered up courage to ask Pilate. Now, not because of Pilate, but because of the Jews. And so the question is, what makes them do this? where they had been concealed disciples, what makes them do such a visible thing? Was it the promise of esteem? No. Was it the promise of the admiration of the people? No. It was the truth that made them bold. It was the gospel that brought courage in them. If this is the truth, and if this is our Savior, how would they not act? Think about that. If this is the truth, 
If this is the gospel, if this is how we're saved, if this is our Savior, how would they not act? Some of us are finding out in these hundred days the gospel has a way of making old fears seem small. The gospel has a way of making old fears all of a sudden seem less important than the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, if this is actually the truth, if this is actually the gospel, if Jesus is actually our Savior, how would we not? It's the same question. How would we not? The gospel bears courage. That brings us to the third thing. The gospel bears love. The gospel bears love. Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, Nicodemus, the great teacher of the Jews, they get the permission of Pilate, and in Mark and Luke, in the gospels of Mark and Luke, it says that they take Jesus off of the cross. Now, sometimes we miss that, but that's what the two accounts actually say. They, they take Jesus off the cross. Now remember, he's nailed to the cross. The Romans are gonna leave him there. They're done with him. They have nailed him to the cross. And so understand, Jesus is nailed to the cross. And so when they come to take Jesus from the cross, either they have to somehow work the nails free or they have to pull Jesus through the nails. They have to pull him through the spikes. This is heartbreaking work. This is devastating work. These are things that your eyes, that your mind will never recover from. They come and they take Jesus off of the cross. Not only that, they take him down. The Bible says Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of spices of myrrh and aloe. It was worth a small fortune, the amount that they brought, that he brought. Only a king or a member of a royal family would have the privilege to use this amount of spices and aloe. They take Jesus, the Bible says, they take him off the cross, they cover him evidently in a piece of linen, also in wrapping in strips and they put the spices on him, and they, they wrap him up. Verse 40 again. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Here's the question. Why would they do this? Why, why would they step up to do such a thing? Now, not just because of the risk, but the act itself. Why would they do this? It is because the truth of love and the gospel of such great love bears love in us as well. And I want you to hear that. I want you to understand that. The gospel of such great love, the truth of love, bears love in the life of a believer as well. Now, what that means is if you know Jesus if you can see, if you're seeing Jesus, if you're looking at the love of Jesus, if you're walking the course of your days in the love of Jesus, if you understand you're saved in the love and the grace of Jesus, how would love not fill our hearts as well? 
That's what the gospel does. It bears love. The gospel bears love in us. Friends, I want to tell you tonight, the hardest, meanest, vilest of hearts is softened in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot receive Jesus and it not be so. That's the truth. You cannot receive Jesus and it not be so. The gospel bears love. Last thing we see tonight is this. The gospel bears up. The gospel bears up. It holds up. It will stand. Verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Now the gospel of Matthew says this new grave belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. It was his grave. Jesus should have been taken to a criminal's cemetery, to a criminal's plot, but Joseph gives Jesus' body his own grave in the middle of this wealthy area, this wealthy garden. I think that is a beautiful picture. You see, Jesus had died his death. It is only fitting that he should have his grave. So he gives him his grave. Verse 42. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Verse 42, Jesus is dead. He is actually physically dead. There are now even more witnesses. Surely nobody is going to contradict those that pulled Jesus off of the cross. He is dead and he is buried. The other gospel accounts record that the grave was a tomb dug out of the side of rock, that it was sealed with another rock. Understand, Jesus is dead. Jesus is in the ground. Jesus is buried. See this one more time. See this another time. 700 years before this event, speaking of the Messiah. Now listen, 700 years. Can you imagine that? 700 years before this event, speaking of the Christ, the Messiah, Isaiah 53 verse 9 says this, listen. His grave was assigned with wicked men. He was supposed to go to a criminal cemetery. Yet, yet, he was with a rich man in his death. Now listen to that. That's 700 years before this event takes place. Speaking of the Messiah, it says this, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Friends, understand one more time, God's word holds true. Listen, our gospel is true. This is our lamb. Jesus is our lamb. This is our savior. Jesus is our savior. We are saved in him. Our gospel will bear up. It will hold up.
One last thing tonight. Remember when Jesus was born? Bible says when he was born, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. He was born, Jesus was born, and there was no place for them. There was no fancy suit of clothes to put her firstborn son in. There was no crib that was ornately decorated that he would sleep in. No, he had a pauper's birth. He truly did humble himself. But as we close out tonight, the 19th chapter, it really is insignificant for what is coming. It really does not impact anything. But see tonight, thanks to the anointing of Mary in chapter 13, and now the anointing and the burial at the hands of these two now not secret disciples, Jesus had a king's burial. He may have had a pauper's birth, but thanks to these disciples of Christ, he had a king's burial. The gospel bears love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come, we're thankful for this truth tonight. We're thankful that our gospel includes your burial, that you're actually dead, that the price is actually paid. Lord, I'm thankful for your grace and your love shown to us even in your burial. Lord, I, I come tonight and I praise you. I worship you as we close out this 19th chapter and as we see that you've died our death, paying our penalty, suffering the weight of, of our guilt, our condemnation, the wrath of God that was due of us. Lord, we praise you tonight. We thank you tonight. We worship you tonight. Lord, I, I pray as we sleep tonight that we would be mindful of this. As we wake up in the morning that we'll be ever again mindful of a Savior that paid our penalty, that took our cost and paid it, settled it at Calvary. Lord, I pray now that as we conclude this service, I know, I believe that you have spoken. I pray that you continue to speak. I pray for those tonight that do not know you. I pray, Lord, that in the hearing of a Savior that in great love desires that none should perish, came and, and took their price, their penalty, and paid it in Calvary. Lord, at Calvary, I pray, Lord, that tonight is the night of their salvation, moving their hearts as well. I pray, Lord, that you've been glorified in tonight. I pray, that, Lord, that you're known, that you continue to be known through it. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close tonight with a time of response, a time of invitation, a time to respond to the truth of God's word. We have a Savior. He has paid for our sin. There's, there's not somebody coming later. There's not some other way. You'll not pay for it yourself. It is settled in Jesus. We come tonight as we see this picture. My call is this. If you've never trusted Christ, trust him tonight. He's paid your penalty tonight. It's settled. It's finished at Calvary, trust him tonight. He will save you. He'll forgive you. He'll give you eternal life. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, trust him tonight. He will save you. If you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never followed in believer's baptism, we want to give you this opportunity as well to come and say, I want that testimony to stand, that, that picture to stand of what I believe of Jesus. You come as well. You're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. 
Together, we'll link together and we'll serve his name for his glory till he comes again. Maybe you want to come here tonight and, and pray at an altar on this Saturday night. Maybe you want to pray for this last week. Maybe you want to pray about something else. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir around, that we will be praying for those that are making decisions. We'll be done in just a moment. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you tonight, if you have a decision to make tonight, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here at the front. You come on, I'll meet you here.